Welcome everyone to episode 51 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is Marina Jones. Marina works for Advanced Recovery Systems. She's been doing that since 2016. And she is the Community Outreach Director for the IFF Center of Excellence located in Maryland. And so that's our treatment center for uh, mental health and also substance abuse. So we're going to do a deep dive into what kind of treatments that center provides and you know how your members can get in and, and just everything that entails. So without further ado, let's bring Miranda in to talk about it. Miranda Jones, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. You know, it's, I just had lunch. You just woke up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, living, living in Anchorage, Alaska is definitely odd. Uh, four hours behind East Coast. Uh, we had a tsunami warning uh, that popped up on our phones two nights ago. So I will say being a Florida girl born and raised, uh, being up here is definitely different. I feel like it could be a whole other podcast on which I go, why Florida and to Alaska? Isn't usually Alaska to Florida? But, you normally would think. <laughs> yeah, it's okay though. So oh, we're, here, <laughs> we're, we're here today to talk about uh, the center of excellence, you know, for the IFF and uh, you know, you are their outreach director. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of here just to tell us all about the inside and outside of, of how this whole thing works. I feel it's important because I mean, we've had multiple members uh, that we've set, you know, sent there and, um, I'm not sure if everybody knows necessarily what you're able to offer there mm-hmm. for, you know, for our 330,000, I think, IFF members throughout the U.S. and Canada. So I think this is a great way to just get it out there to show what this entails, what's it like being there. And then also for our local members, whether peer support members or whatever they may be, to know what to do to try to get their members there if, if needed. So that's yeah. the whole that's the premise behind it. So I think the first thing is how did this center of excellence actually come to be? Yeah, uh, this really it was kind of uh, the brainchild between a couple different people. Um, it actually started with a conversation on the golf course uh, between the general president and uh, a friend. And it was this idea of how do we help our members more? How, how do we do better? Uh, what more can we offer? And this idea of having a, a specific facility that treats you know, IFF members specific needs uh, really kept coming into the conversation. And, and that friend knew a friend and uh, was able to set dinner between our, uh, our founders and uh, gen- the general president. And from that point, it really began a conversation of, is this possible? Is this doable? And for those of you who don't know, uh, this is a partnership between the International Association of Firefighters and Advanced Recovery Systems. Advanced Recovery Systems is a very large behavioral health care company that owns and operates nine general population treatment programs all across the country. But this idea of a really demographic-specific, career-specific treatment uh, had been dabbled on in both uh, you know, the medical field with doctors and nursing programs specifically, uh, and, and you know, lawyer 
in law fields, in uh, pilot fields as well, but nothing really specific to fire service members. Uh, first responder treatment became a really big hot topic about uh, five years ago, five, 10 years ago saying, you know, we should probably give a little bit higher of a trauma uh, pre prevalence to this group of people. And so, you know, dinner was set, uh, as they say, in the room where it happens, uh, you know, it, it went from there and uh, we really decided that this was something advanced recovery systems really believed in and wanted to do. Um, the, you know, President Shapeberger was just an incredible driving force in making this happen as well. And uh, kind of boom, bam, wham, it went, started from a conversation and then we were, you know, purchasing property uh, and we were making this happen. And so I, uh, really from just a conversation, it, it turned into what the center is now. Uh, we've been open for three and a half years um, and are located in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, which I think most people don't know where that is. So we always lovingly refer to it as the DC metro area. But if you've ever been out there, it is not metro. <laughs> I will say that. Uh, definitely rural out there. It's about 40, 45 minutes outside of the DC metro area, um, but right there. Nice. I'm going to look past the Hamilton reference that you just put in there. <laughs> I can't help it. I, I, I love it. I love it. We've all been quarantined for too long. I might have watched it way too many times. So. The fact that I knew what you were saying exactly. <laughs> makes, makes me guilty by association too, but, but I digress. Um, so could you kind of explain what this uh, facility even looks like because it's not the typical treatment center I mean you, you mentioned you have nine of them this mm -hmm. one is the one that sticks out a little bit right absolutely absolutely I think in most people's eyes especially with you guys you know running calls to county services your idea of what a treatment facility or what a psychiatric unit looks like is you know padded walls nine foot chain link fence uh vastly different than what the Center of Excellence looks like. Uh, the Center of Excellence sits on 15 acres. Uh, it's, you know, a pretty large campus. We've got like nine separate buildings on campus. Uh, we, so actually the property kind of has a cool uh, background history. So uh, when we were renovating the, the buildings that were on campus and building other buildings uh, to really start the center of excellence, we actually found a, an aerial black and white photo from uh, mid forties. And what the facility actually used to be way back when was a command center for all of the Nike missile silos that circled the Washington DC center uh, area. And so for us, we actually like dug up guard towers. So it's kind of cool. We have it framed in our lobby now, um, but just cool background history of what it used to be for a period of time. It was a Montessori school uh, for a period of time. It was an adolescent school. Uh, so it, kind of the idea of having multiple stations on uh, on the campus and then moving into having, you know, a detox unit, having the kitchen, having the gym, and then having our main wing, our main administrative wing, uh, really kind of fit the mold of what the campus flow was. So when you come onto campus, there are no fences, there are no guards. Uh, you come on campus at your own free will, you leave campus at your own free will. Um, obviously, if you're wanting to leave, we will always do a debrief prior to a person leaving campus, but uh, it's a very open campus. We try to have the most therapeutic atmosphere that we possibly can have. Uh, you know, we have 
an incredible virtual tour uh, video that we have on YouTube as well that gives people, you know, that true visual of what the facility looks like, what campus looks like. Um, but, you know, just for us right now, you know, we have all of these different buildings and I mentioned station houses. That's what we uh, refer to our residences as. So instead of dorms or residence halls, we, I, I wish I could tell you how many advisory board meetings it took to name these dang buildings, but uh, we settled on station house one, two, three, and four. So uh, we have four different station houses, all of which have 12 beds each um, and a central community area in each of those as well. We also have a separate community area that has you know, foosball tables, video games, a ping pong table, uh, really to make a uh, social space separate of the therapeutic space that we use for groups all day long. Uh, and then, you know, we've got a basketball court, we got a volleyball court, we have a pool, we've got, you know, uh, we've got cornhole boards, we've got uh, horseshoes, all of the fun things. Um, because what we've realized is therapy is hard and therapy is takes a lot out of you and so being able to you know work intensively all day long and then have those after hours or those hours in the morning to be able to you know reflect to meditate to focus on you or just relax you know we, we've got people that are with us year round and so when the super bowl happens it's important to have the biggest best you know football package uh, when college season happens when nfl season happens it's important to be able to give the people what they want you know it, the world doesn't stop when someone's in treatment and so trying to foster an environment that feels very much like a fire service um, feels like a station house when you walk in is what we're trying to promote that's that's perfect i'm also going to overlook the fact that you're a gator I am go Gators. I can't. I can't help it. It's through and through. Uh, when, you're, when you're talking about college football, I was just thinking, oh yeah, that's right. She's from Florida. She's oh kid. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I you know I, I'll I'll let it go. I'll let it go. Y'all stole one of our coaches, but it's fine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, uh, what kind of treatments are actually available for our members there? Yeah, so one of the coolest things about the center and one of the biggest differences uh, from just advanced recovery systems alone is the IFF Center of Excellence is our only property that has a mental health license. So all of our other treatment programs are all general population primary substance abuse. Uh, there's this kind of word called co-diagnosis or dual diagnosis uh, that's out there. And what that means is you might have a primary of substance abuse, but you might have, you know, an anxiety, a depression as a secondary diagnosis. For us, we can treat both. So we operate both a substance abuse and a mental health license. And I think a lot of people think of the center of excellence in kind of two categories. They either think, oh, we're a drug rehab or we only treat PTSD. And I think it's interesting to note that, you know, our mental health license isn't just for PTSD. You know, primarily we're seeing anxiety, depression. Uh, we're seeing a lot of OCD as a secondary diagnosis. Uh, you know, and similarly, we're not just seeing alcohol. Uh, we're seeing, you know, methamphetamines. We're seeing prescription opiates. We're seeing, you know, uh, sexual addictions. We're seeing, you know, shopping addictions. We're seeing so many other things than, than what your mind just originally goes to. Uh, and so having both of those licenses really plays such a big role in ensuring that we can treat the whole person and not just what that 
primary diagnosis is, but what everything else is involved. Uh, so on campus, you know, we have a couple different treatment modalities that we utilize. The one nice thing is that each clinician has their own different specialty. And so it gives us a full bodied staff to be able to have, you know, if you want to go in and have EMDR therapy, we've got therapists that are trained in EMDR. If we, you want to do a DBT, which is diabolical a behavioral therapy. Uh, you can go do that. If you want to do uh, CBT, cognitive processing therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, we have the ability to offer all of those things on campus and build a treatment plan to the individual rather than putting an individual into a stock treatment plan. Now that, that's perfect. Now, who is actually eligible for this? Yeah, is it, is uh, it just IFF members as a retirees? Um, it's both. It's both. I'm glad you. I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people get really confused when we say, you know, we're the IFF Center of Excellence. Uh, so the purpose of this program was to foster an environment where exclusively IFF members are treated on campus. So we're not a first responder program. We won't accept, you know anyone else uh, unless they are an IFF union member. And during, you know, my almost four years working with you guys, I've realized that depending on the department, that can be a whole host of people. You know, some people include their dispatchers in their union, some don't. Uh, some have, you know, some include chiefs, some includes, you know, bat chiefs. As, as the structure changes, the local changes for, you know, different locals. So for us, our end of the game and, you know, end of the line is you are either an active IFF union member or you are a former IFF union member that left in good standing. So in an example would be promoting out of the union, but you left in good standing and aren't standing there giving the giant middle finger to the union at this point. <laughs> um, or retirees. Uh, and with retirees, you either need to be a part of the alumni program through the IFF, which is a quick website sign up, um, or again, just leaving in good standing. Okay, perfect. Now, what is the, how do we actually get admitted to this? If, if we're <laughs> interested in, if we have a member or that, or the member itself is, it yeah. wants, to get, uh, wants to make the trip, how do they go about that? Okay, so there's a couple of different ways that you can start, all of which will lead to the same path. Uh, so I have a team being the outreach director. I have a team of three different individuals that all work underneath me uh, that all can take field calls. Um, so this is kind of the first path and dependent on your personality, maybe the best path. Uh, you can either go through any of us. And I always say, you know, it was funny when I first started this job, I was giving out my personal cell phone number to uh, conferences of firefighters and you can imagine how well that, <laughs> that goes over uh, but for us you know it's really important because a lot of times the text is less scary than making a phone call and so for us shooting me a text shooting any one of my team members a text and saying hey I've either got a member or me myself I'm looking into this what do I do next uh, we operate a 24-7 call center and that comes with ups and downs. It gives us the availability any time of day, whenever, there will always be someone to answer the phone. 
that's the positive side. One of the other positive sides that we have is during uh, from 7 a.m. to 6 or 7 p.m., depending on the day, uh, we have two individuals, Richard and Cole, who are specific fire service specific intake coordinators. Uh, Richard and Cole are both former paramedics themselves, both have incredible stories, uh, both are in recovery. So uh, they're who handles and walks through the entire intake process from the very first phone call to the pre-assessment to actually booking a client coming in. Uh, they're fantastic. Uh, just the relatability level, if there's anything we've learned in the past four years, is the fact that you all like to talk to your own, especially in situations where it's uncomfortable. And so having Richard and Cole on our team is like the best thing for us. Um, and they're so great at you know, advocating for members to get them in, um, to call some bullshit sometimes too, uh, and, and just get members to really recognize that now this is, this is the time to be, you know, to, to look inward and really focus on yourself. Uh, so that being said, there is 800 numbers. There's a thousand different ones. The one that I personally use is 844-439-8445. Uh, but like I said, if you go to the website, if you go to the Facebook page, you might see different 800 numbers. They will all call into the same call center. When you call in, there is a press two option. Uh, so if you're just looking for more information, you're not actively trying to uh, seek treatment yourself or for someone else, you can press two. Those are forwarded over to my cell phone as well. Um, so a couple different ways. So we've got people that absolutely do not want to go through the call center, don't want to call an 800 number, call me. Uh, my personal cell phone number is 352-538. 0377. Uh, feel free, save it. I, I every presentation I give, you know, every peer support contact I come in contact with, like, please save my cell phone. I hope you never have to use it. But when you do, I want to know that you're going to have this information. So for us, you know, either that route or through the 800 route is really the best. Um, and it just kind of depends on what the person wants. If somebody doesn't want to make that phone call, I can call Richard and say, hey, I need you to reach out directly to this member. And that way you can kind of forego having to sit on hold and being transferred over to Richard and Cole. So either one of those ways are really how you start the process. What is that process like once you're on the phone? <laughs> so I uh, it really is so interesting because I, I say it pretty concisely, but it looks so different for every single person that calls in. So you have to realize, you know, it's not always the client that's calling in. Uh, the client might not always be the one who is pushing this or is the most willing when they're calling in. Uh, you can have family members, you can have spouse, uh, you can have friends, coworkers, I mean, especially with this population, more times than not, it's a coworker that's calling in, whether they're a peer support member in their local, in their state, uh, or, you know, just on the local board, just someone that works with a person that says, hey, I know there's something going on. What, what am I supposed to do? We'll walk that person through, you know, every step of how to approach the conversation, what to say, you know, obviously very few people want a, a random 800 number call that says, hey, a friend of yours called us and thinks you need treatment. Very few people. That's the, <laughs> that is the quickest way to get defense walls thrown up for sure. Um, so trying to make this a normal conversation and a friendly conversation is the most important. So for us, 
um, being able to uh, walk the member or whomever through all of those steps is important. So what happens when you actually get on the phone? So we finally have the member themselves on the phone that are seeking treatment. At this point, what has to happen is we're going to verify insurance first. Uh, this is a key portion. Uh, treatment is not covered by the IFF. Um, this is not a, a member all-inclusive uh, treatment. So it does go through the member's individual private insurance. Uh, the one nice thing about you guys is you guys work for cities, counties, uh, districts that normally offer insurance. And so for us, that's always a thing. So for our, on our end of things, we're in network with all major providers. We can get into this a little bit later if you want to do more of an insurance deep dive. But all major providers, everything from Blue Cross Blue Shield down to United, we're in network with. Um, so from that point, we're going to be able to see what exactly the financial coverage and financial responsibility would be for the member. We relay that over to the member, and then we walk through what's called the pre-assessment. The pre-assessment is uh, normally on average takes between 20 and 30 minutes, uh, has to be done over the phone, uh, and the pre-assessment is a, a very thorough uh, in-depth, basically, questionnaire that uh, Richard or Cole will go through with your member. Uh, it has questions from medical history, from any surgeries, on-the-job injuries, uh, everything to are you actively suicidal? Do you have intention? Is there any type of set plan you have? Um, are you a harm to self or others? All of that so we can actively understand what's going on and, and everything in between. You know, uh, not everyone calling us is actively suicidal. Most are in the middle of the bunch that are saying, I'm not sleeping well, I'm irritable, I'm angry, you know, I, I react, I, I go above and beyond reactions to the smallest things. Uh, those are all very common signs of, of PTSD and trauma. Um, and, it, you know, some are actively drinking, some are actively using. And so we go through a whole host of questions to be able to give our medical director uh, a full, and clinical director, a full understanding of what the member is dealing with. That way they can then review that, they get it back to us and say, yes, this person is approved, and then we move on to schedule to book. So concisely, the way that it works is member gets on the phone, member talks to Richard or Cole, goes through uh, insurance verification, talks uh, through the pre-assessment, gets approval, and then schedules to book. And when I say we have had members from every state across the country, I mean every state. And uh, we've had three members come from three separate provinces in Canada. We've finally had an Alaskan member come. We've had Hawaiian members come. I mean, we have seen members from every single state in the country. And uh, it's just incredible when you think about the reach that this program really does have. So transportation is always an interesting one because you've got members that are driving, you've got members that have peer support members or friends that are driving them in, you've got members jumping on airplanes um, for short trips, for long trips, we've had members get on buses, we've had members get on trains, uh, so planes, trains, automobiles, any, any of those is how the members are getting into treatment. And you're actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're able to actually pick them up from the airport and correct. get them to the center. Correct. So when we do, uh, when we look at what the travel is going to be, what the travel accommodations are going to look like when they come into, uh, into the treatment facility, 
What that means is uh, we're going to coordinate all flight plans. So uh, the one thing that we do not do is as a treatment provider, we're not legally allowed to pay for treatment, pay for travel for members to come into treatment. So that's reliant on members themselves. There's a lot of different locals that will help uh, cover those costs. There's, I mean, there's different resolutions that have been put in place in states and districts that uh, help cover and offset those upfront travel costs. But we will help coordinate every single step from where they're connecting, we'll touch base when they connect, ensure that they're getting on the next plane, and then we will have staff members at the airport when they show up. And, you know, going back to when I mentioned we're in the D.C. metro area, uh, there's three airports in the D.C. area, uh, Dulles, Washington, Reagan, and BWI. Uh, any of those three, I, I always say choose the cheapest flight because we're going to be there to pick you up no matter what. So do that. Uh, get into one of those three airports. We're going to have staff members uh, that come and pick you up that uh, with a van that is easily recognizable that just has an IFF logo on it, not a center of excellence logo. No one's, you know, announcing to the world that anyone's coming into treatment, uh, but easily recognizable uh, as the IFF emblem. And we can at that point then drive the members out to the campus and then they'll actually start going through the program and settling in. What is the admit process once they actually get there? Yeah. Once they, so, once they get in the facility there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, normally it's kind of that moment of, okay, I'm here. Um, some people kind of get stressed, uh, but we try to make it a, as smooth of a process as possible. So within the first 24 hours, dependent on when members get on campus, and that's kind of one thing to note, uh, members can come onto campus at any period of time. We will schedule admissions at 2 a.m. We'll schedule them at 2 p.m. Uh, as long as we, uh, as the facility staff, know when the member is coming in and has organized to ensure that everyone is set and ready when that person shows up, we're perfectly fine to do admissions 24 hours a day. From that point, uh, within the first 24 hours, uh, members are going to meet with uh, the medical director do a full uh, medical history evaluation nursing. Uh, they're going to go through nursing. They're going to go and do um, so nursing and medical happen within the first 24 hours. Within the first uh, 72, they're going to go through a full biopsychosocial evaluation with clinician. Uh, and what that is, is a very an even more in-depth than what our pre-assessment is process of really ensuring that we have all of the factors, you know, the social aspect. The social aspect, the economical aspect, uh, we want to make sure that we have the best full round vision of what this member is going through, not just, you know, the trauma or the anxiety or, you know, the, the substance use, but also what's the family life look like? What do finances look like? What, what is everything that is playing a building block into getting this member to this point? And, you know, early childhood issues, traumas, things like that, like that's when we have a really good deep dive into uh, what the member is dealing with at that point. So they go through the biopsychosocial, they're assigned to their personal lead clinician uh, for their stay. Um, and then at that point, they, dependent on whether or not it's a substance abuse client needing detox or if it's a mental health client, uh, at that point, they'll start going into groups uh, on that third day. 
if it is a client that's going through detox, detox is, uh, as you guys all know, uh, de detox is an interesting beast in and of itself. Um, we are a fully medical detox uh, on site. It's not off campus. We're not taking people to the hospital to detox and then bringing them back. Uh, we have full medical and nursing staff to be able to handle detox on site. Um, so from that point, you know, detox normally on average takes three to five days, uh, which is actually slightly longer than what uh, the average for the general population person is. Uh, this was one of the interesting things that we learned, uh, not having a blueprint of treating first responders or treating fire service members uh, prior to opening. Uh, we realized that due to you all's shift cycle, uh, when you do have someone that is struggling with binge drinking, uh, they're training their body to be able to be sober for extended periods of time due to the shift cycle. And so detox takes longer because their body thinks, oh, this is normal, we're fine, we're handling this, this is great, and we'll go back. Um, and it's interesting because with insurers, uh, insurance normally, you know, detox is the highest level of care and it's the most expensive for insurers to pay for. So every day our doctors, our medical director is fighting for another day of detox for another day of detox to be approved through uh, the insurer. And so for us, we've really realized, and now with partners with the insurers that we do work with, they also know uh, that instead of that one to five detox day range, it's three to, uh, it's three to five, potentially even seven to really get all the way through uh, for our members to get through detox. So, um, but then from that point, you know, members, as soon as they start feeling better, we'll start going through groups and doing individual sessions. Um, and, and I mean, if you want to talk about day, days in the life of and what, you know, treatment plans look like and all of that, I can, I can deep dive into that. That was, that was actually, uh, that was going to be my next question is just the day to day of, of these individuals. Yeah. So day to day looks different, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that members really like about our program. You're not sitting in the exact same group every single day. Uh, so on campus, uh, we separate our clients into a couple different tracks. So uh, we have our obviously our substance abuse primary track, we have our mental health primary track, but then we have subtracks. So we have a PTSD track, we have a trauma track, uh, we have, you know, obviously, we're not going to put someone that's not struggling with uh, substance abuse in a substance abuse recovery group. Uh, we really tailor every single treatment plan to the individual. We sit down with the individual, uh, with their lead clinician, with our clinical director, our medical director, and determine what treatment plan best looks for them. And while we do that at the beginning, that treatment plan is fluid. That can change as you go. So it's not like a cookie cutter, okay, in 28 days, you're going to be fixed. Everything's great. Here we go. Uh, that's not how our program works. We really want to make sure that all of the layers that we can pull back while they're with us. Because in the grand scheme of things, 30, 30 to 45 days is really not that long. Uh, when you've got, you know, 17 years on the job coming in, peeling back all of those layers can take, you know, a long time to be able to really work through all of that. So we're really there to focus on those main thick layers that we can get through. But trying to be able to treat all of those uh, is really what we're working towards. So day in the life of members are going to wake up. Uh, we're going to have 
uh, breakfast in the morning. There's coffee on campus. <laughs> it's a question that I get asked all the time. Is there coffee on, on campus? Yes, I promise you there is coffee on campus. Uh, actually, when we started this program, believe it or not, caffeine is addictive. Um, and uh, when we started, most, uh, actually all of ARS's other treatment programs uh, don't have coffee easily accessible on campus because it, it is addictive. Uh, caffeine is addictive. And so uh, when we started this program, we thought, oh yeah, it'll be just like the other programs. And then all of a sudden the members that were on campus uh, had unionized, they were leaving campus, they had demands and at the highest of the list of demands, it was coffee. <laughs> so uh, from this point, everyone gets their coffee, I promise you. So, uh, but they'll you know be able to go through breakfast, coffee, all of that. We do med management in the morning. So any kind of medication, ongoing medical care uh, happens in the morning then from that point they start uh, they start with a meditation group every morning and then uh, from that they go into group programming and so uh, we operate anywhere between four to six groups dependent on the number of people on campus and dependent on kind of the, the makeup of the group on campus uh, so you know we talk about women coming into uh, coming into the, the center we have about as many women as the 96% male to female ratio that the fire service has is what we see on campus as well. Uh, so when we do have multiple women on campus, maybe having uh, a, a specific female group that happens, that happens on campus. So we change up our groups to fit what's happening with the demographic on campus. If there's multiple people that have shopping addictions, we'll do groups about that. Uh, if there's you know, multiple gambling addictions or, you know, sexual addictions, things like that. We bring people in to ensure that our groups fit what the makeup of the demographic on campus at that current moment is, not just a blanket group. So they'll go through groups up until lunchtime. Uh, like I said, four to six groups that can do anything from a trauma group to a resiliency group to, you know, uh, to a, a just cognitive processing group. All of those look different. And each of those hours look different day after day. So you might have someone who does, you know, four times a week in a substance abuse resiliency group because that's a main, you know, main building block for their recovery. But then you might have someone that only does it once a week or has someone that doesn't do that group at all because they don't need that portion of treatment. So all of this is pretty long-winded to say all of our groups are constantly changing. So midday, we have lunch. Uh, lunch lasts about 10 minutes, just like in the station, uh, very quickly. And then everyone hangs out around the table, but lunch is done very, very briefly. <laughs> then from that point, they go back into doing groups. And the second half of the day is also when we pull out for uh, individual sessions as well. So working with your individual therapist during individual therapy, uh, you're working, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, and then also we'll include Include family sessions as well to ensure that the family is involved if that's what the member wants. Some members come in and say, no, you know what, I don't want to include family in this. I want this to be about me. Um, and that's okay too. You know, on some level, this is a client depicted on who we can reach out to and who we can't due to HIPAA regulations. So uh, then in the evening times, there's dinner. Uh, we have a recreational therapist on staff as well uh, that works in our gym. Uh, our, I truly do recommend going and watching our, uh, our tour video for the fact that we highlight how beautiful this gym is because it's, 
incredible. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, then we'll put together and just depending on the week, we might do a team volleyball game. We might do a basketball game. Uh, you know, we, one of the major secondary diagnoses that we see is social anxiety. By the time that members come to us, uh, they're very removed from their normal so social atmosphere. So doing teamwork exercises and team, you know, games and, you know, having competition uh, is important to build rebuilding what fitting into a social atmosphere looks like. Uh, you know, if there's one thing I know, it's that there's no one more competitive than a group of firefighters. You might have people that have never played volleyball and all of a sudden you're watching an Olympic volleyball match. Uh, <laughs> and you know, it's just, it, it's interesting because your job is so team related. You all have your in individual jobs that you do to work together as a team to move the goal forward. But by the time members get to us, we see a ton of social anxiety. And so making that normal again is really what we're working towards. So that's after hours. Like I said, we've got a couple different community spaces that members can go and relax. Uh, you know, members are gonna have homework from their days from either their group sessions or individual sessions to be able to reflect on. Uh, we've got two and a half miles of walking trails uh, that are on campus that members can freely go out and walk and, and be able to reflect or uh, we've got a quarter of a mile running track as well. Um, we try to make sure that members that come in uh, that have very specific, you know, fitness regimens or things like that, we, we're trying to uh, adapt and be as flexible as possible to make sure those needs are also met while also focusing inward on not just the physical, but also the mental side of things. So that's really what a day in the life of looks like. Oh, we've got a fire pit. The fire pit actually happens quite a bit. <laughs> we got a fire pit out back. Uh, so that's another, you know, kind of hang out and just be with, be with the brotherhood, the sisterhood that is the fire service, that is the IFF on campus. Nice. Very nice. So our members here do 30 to 45 days, however long it may take, and it's finally time for them to go home. Yeah. How does that process work? Yeah, so um, kind of one of the things that we do from the get, oh, that's one of the things in those first 72 hours I forgot to mention, is members meet with case manager, uh, with case management. And that's a huge portion of anyone's recovery is what aftercare is going to look like. So uh, members on campus will meet with our case manager once a week all of the weeks that they're on campus. So if that's four, four times, six, six times. Uh, and so from that point, what happens when a member is finally completing their time with us? We try to avoid the term graduation because it sounds really final uh, and really truly, like I said, this is just, you know, 45 days is a blip in what a lifelong, uh, you know, lifelong recovery looks like. So we uh, do this really cool thing on campus. We do, um, we do this ceremony for completion and we, you know, circle around and it's beautiful. We have, you know, a, a bell because we understand how ceremonial the fire service is. And we wanted to include that portion uh, when members are leaving campus. So uh, they receive a challenge coin and on one side of the challenge coin, it has the IFF's logo and headquarters phone numbers because the IFF is always going to have their backs and any questions uh, that members might have, they're always welcome to call. But on the back, it has the serenity prayer and our phone number, knowing that uh, members members need to be able to call us uh, for, you know, 
the good times and the bad times. Not everyone goes through the program one time. Relapse is a portion of a lot of people's uh, recovery. And so knowing that we've always got their backs as well and that it's always an open line of communication. So that ceremony happens. I mean, everyone gets time to reflect on their stay. Uh, the whole staff is there. Everyone gets to share stories uh, and just be able to talk about the growth and the change that they've been able to see in the members that are completing services with us. Uh, so when a member leaves, they're handed an entire notebook that has everything they would need to go back home. Uh, they're going to have an entire aftercare plan. So members that are leaving campus are leaving with primary care physician appointments if needed, uh, psychiatric appointments if needed, uh, always leaving with clinical appointments to be able to have within the first seven to 10 days an appointment set with a clinician at home in their area uh, to be able to start this, what we hope for, ongoing road to recovery. Uh, so when they go back home, I mean, if they need meetings, AA, NA, smart meetings, anything that they've identified that um, they want or that our clinical team has identified that they're going to need to support them in their return are all included in this packet. From that point, when a member goes home, uh, what we do is we check up on an 18 month basis. So every single month, they're going to either receive a phone call or an email uh, checking in saying, how are you doing? What's happening? Are there anything that we can do? And the reason for this is let's say, uh, let's say someone's going back to their city and normally their local department works with one specific therapist and has asked the center of excellence to utilize that specific therapist. And we say, absolutely, okay. So we send the referral, we set up the appointment, the member goes home. Well, the member goes, does their first session and says, I don't like that therapist. We don't gel, our personalities don't match, whatever it is, uh, I'd like someone else. We wanna keep that open line of communication so that our clinical team can then say, okay, no worries, we have one through five other options that you can go and make happen. We'll gladly set up an appointment again and all of that. We want to continue uh, that open line of communication with people. So from that point, uh, members are going to get all of those aftercare. They're going to go home. They're going to go to those clinical appointments. We're going to check in. Uh, we check in monthly from month uh, one through six. Then uh, at six months, we change to a three-month uh, three scale. So then we'll check in at nine months, at 12 months, at 15 months, and at 18 months. Uh, and again, the reason is just it's a proven statistic that if members, uh, that if individuals stay actively in involved in their road to recovery, for 18 months, they have like a 72% higher likely of ongoing lifestyle recovery. So for us, it doesn't mean you're going to your individual therapist weekly. If that's what you need at the beginning, absolutely. But we want to see this become a normal thing, not a, oh my God, I have to go do this thing. And we, like, we firmly believe that if members just did quarterly checkups uh, in their everyday lives, that this would be, you know, it, it would be nice to just be able to unload everything and move forward uh, from that point. So that's really what we're doing for an ongoing aftercare plan is ensuring that, you know, calling, connecting, making sure that if members need our help again, 
we're there. Um, and that's, and working with the local as well. You know, this is really a piece where when members do sign releases of information for a point of contact on their local, in their local, whether it's on the e-board, an EAP member, a clinician, whomever, being that support system is so important. Um, you know, the fact that we can, when the member leaves, we could tell that person, hey, they've got an appointment in six days at 2 p.m., call them at 3 p.m., you know, call them at four and just check base and say, hey, how was everything? Is there anything that we can do to help? Is there anything, you know, more support? Hey, do you need a ride? Whatever it is. So when members uh, do, uh, do feel comfortable enough to give releases of information for, um, you know, coworkers, it does help because it keeps everyone in the loop. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of times releases are for family members and for um, maybe the clinician that referred them in, but it really making sure that everyone's on the same page is extraordinarily helpful in, in that aftercare plan. Absolutely. Now, uh, I'm going to go off a rumor here. Is yeah. there talk of doing a second center of excellence somewhere on the West Coast? Yes, and then dang COVID happened. <laughs> um, so yes, absolutely. Our plan, at, at, you know, speaking for advanced recovery systems, our plan is we know this model works. We know that members need our help and there will always be more members that we can help. Uh, we'd love to get to the point where members are so proactive with, you know, all of their mental health and behavioral health needs on a first in, you know, first starter basis that they don't need us. Uh, but that's not what the reality is at this point. So our plan is to be able to open a West Coast facility. Uh, there, everything kind of got halted really truly because of COVID, but that is the plan is that we are going to open a facility uh, in California at some point. Uh, obviously right now the timeline is a little unsure due to everything that's happening in the world, but yes. Sure. I was trying to get through the episode without saying that word. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've now said it twice. So <laughs> my bad, my bad, my bad. Um, no. but, you know, it, it's the world that we live in currently and we're trying to be as flexible as possible. I mean, I, I do want to kind of take note and, and make it a point. We are a 64 bed treatment facility out in Maryland right now, and we're not actively full. So right now, I think as of this morning, we have 40 people on campus. So uh, while there is a need, it's not an overwhelming need at this specific point. Um, and so just to keep kind of managing expectations of, you know, we have obviously proved the model that it works at, you know, the current IFF Center of Excellence. We want to be able to replicate it, but obviously we need to be able to have enough beds for both uh, and have enough members to utilize those beds as well. So uh, that's really where we're at. You know, average, I think for this month has really been right at that 40 mark. Uh, so, and it ebbs and flows, you know, uh, especially right now, I won't say it, uh, especially during the last <laughs> last couple of months. Uh, it's been difficult because, you know, for a period of time, we weren't taking people uh, flying in, you know, anyone that was traveling by airports, we weren't doing, but as of June 1st, that's now open. Um, so, you know, that's no longer a barrier for members seeking treatment. Uh, sometimes we will have to have members come uh, and get, I have to say it now, and we are going to have to have members that have negative COVID tests uh, prior to getting on an airplane and coming here. But, you know, we're actively changing what our procedures on campus are as well to ensure safety for both our clients and also for uh, our staff to see. 
it is uh, an incredible network. I, I will say, you know, for everyone, I I am not from a fire service family. I'm not a firefighter. I walked in not knowing what I was getting myself into four years ago. And what I will say is it is very much a family. Uh, when I first started, I wasn't a part of the family. <laughs> it was very much uh, just the, the girl that wanted to talk about behavioral health issues. And over the last four years, it's been such a privilege to be welcomed, open armed. And, you know, it was a cool thing for me. Uh, my husband's in the Air Force. And when we drove from Florida to Alaska, um, I stopped in multiple different states. And it was so cool to be able to, you know, text somebody and be like, hey, I'm here in this town, or I'm going to be in this town in two hours, where should I go to lunch? And the locals text me back saying, hey, go here. Hey, can my wife and I meet you? Um, hey, yeah, absolutely. Let us know if you need anything. You know, having that family is such a cool aspect of this job that I didn't realize I was going to get through it. And so it makes every single one of the members that do seek treatment just that much more personal for all of us. You know, I mean, we each have our own stories that just vastly changed our lives. I mean, there's so many people that I've come in contact with and either, you know, gotten help or have lost or, you know, all of these things that it just, it vastly changes. I mean, it's vastly changed who I am. And I'm just so grateful to be a small cog in the wheel uh, in trying to change people's lives. And you are, and you absolutely are. And, and everybody that works at the center is, um, I mean, I can speak towards it, not personally, but just through everybody who we've sent there and they mm -hmm. come back different and they have a different path and the department's better off their family's better off um i mean everybody's better off and it's because of being able to go to a place just for us yeah. you know a lot of us you know if we have substance abuse issues well i'm sorry and i've heard it from them like they don't they don't want to go to a and a me a meetings with people that they probably narcaned or whatever else I, I legitimately, I did a meeting, I did a presentation one time and had a guy come up afterwards and go, yeah, you know what, when I went to go and seek substance abuse treatment, I was roommates with a 19 year old kid I had Narcaned in the mall bathroom. And that's the reality of, you know, fire service members, but first responders seeking treatment um, in general population facilities like that. That's what's normal. You know, it, it's why there's first so many more first responder AA groups out there. Um, you know, the IFF due to due to the times, uh, is also doing, um, is doing recovery meetings right now online that are open to all exclusively IFF members. Uh, so that's an awesome resource that's out there right now. Uh, if you want to check that out, that's on www.iff.org backslash behavioral health. Uh, you know, there's a ton of different resources that are becoming more and more available for specific, you know, fire service or, you know, the larger population of first responder, being comfortable in, in this situation is so important. You know, like it is already a massively uncomfortable thing to start talking about yourself and the problems you're going through the, you know, the things that you're facing, but then add on top of it, the level of 
trauma and things that you all see on a day in day out basis, like the general population has no ability to relate to that. And that's really what the basis of this program was, was let's create something that you walk in and we hope the reaction is your shoulders drop, you get comfortable, everyone sits around the kitchen table, hangs out in the station house, and it's a therapeutic environment in the fact that you're around like-minded people. That's really at the end of the day what we have tried to create. No, and, and you have. And it sounds like you'll hopefully be doing one out west too for all those firefighters out there. Absolutely. So you don't have to travel all the way. It's not, I mean, it's not that bad for me. I mean, I'm, I, I'll tell you, it's kind of funny. Our, our top five uh, most referring states is Maryland, which makes sense. Virginia, again, makes sense. But Ohio, Florida, Washington State, and California. Top, yeah. I guess, top six most referring states right there. So I, Well, and I can just, I'll, you know, for my state union, they have been very proactive with behavioral health. I mean, they have it set up to where... If you do need to go to, and I think I found this out actually with you doing mm -hmm. a class in Dayton, that they have it set up to where they'll reimburse your airfare. I mean, they try to make it as easy as possible just to actually get you there and get you help. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can only speak the best about the OAPFF. I mean, it, your statewide peer support team is truly incredible. Um, the fact that you have peer support teams on a local, on a, you know, kind of regional in the state and, and statewide, it is incredible. Your peer support, uh, your peer support website, I mean, gives everything that a member would possibly need to find in, you know, when they're struggling, all concisely in one space. I mean, I, I think every single state should be able to operate in this same kind of format. I mean, it, it's, just incredible what you guys have done. You guys definitely were at the forefront of being able to talk about behavioral health issues to make it normal. Um, and, and so I have to give a huge kudos to you guys because it doesn't look like that in every state. And that's what we're striving for. Those are all my predecessors that set that up, whether it's Dave or Matt <laughs> and those guys, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to just follow them through all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. With that being said, kind of closing up, Again, where can our members, you know, find out more information, the, the website, the phone numbers? I know you've kind of already said them throughout, but yeah, absolutely. kind of sum it up right here at the end. If kind you of concisively, mind. if you want to learn more, uh, please visit our website. It's www.iffrecoverycenter.com. Uh, similarly, if you just Google IFF Center of Excellence, it will pop up. It's the first one there. Uh, we've got links on there to be able to watch, you know, any of the tour videos. Uh, we're currently doing a webinar series right now over, uh, you know, that's the one positive that's come from being at home all the time as we now do webinars. So we've got, uh, we're doing about three webinars every month. Uh, my coworker, Molly Jones, is our clinical coordinator uh, and she's putting together so far, we've done a work-life balance webinar. We've done, uh, we just finished up a PTSD webinar uh, that was hosted with uh, the district vice president of the ninth district, Ray Ronnie, uh, sharing his story with PTSD and where the fire service is moving. Uh, we've do, we do a cultural competency uh, training as well. So any clinicians that you might know out there, I know a lot of guys have spouses. A lot of the girls have spouses that uh, are clinicians or retired guys 
guys go back and get a, a clinical degree, please, please, please check those out. Those are all listed on the website along with the recordings of those as well. So you can view afterwards. Um, there's a ton of different PDF resources there. Uh, so please, it's www.iffrecoverycenter.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about the IFF's peer support teams, how to get involved, uh, their resiliency training that they'll be putting out, or their uh, ongoing recovery meetings that they're hosting, it's iff.org. Uh, and then for contact, call into the center. Uh, like I said, there's a ton of 800 numbers out there. They will all funnel to the same center. Um, but for me, the one that I use is 844 439 8445. And then my personal cell phone number is just 352-538-0377. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I think this is a great conversation. I'm glad you're doing all of these. Yes, absolutely. So once again, Miranda Jones, the Community Outreach Director for the IFF Center of Excellence. 